and he has conquered the grave. I'm really looking forward to preaching today's message, um, and I want to kind of explain a little bit to you how I arrived here. Uh, if you were here with us last week, you would have known that we were in Acts 15, and, and it was a different message because we talked about something that, that the church was really struggling with, and if you were here, you would have heard that the church was struggling with this idea of a doctrinal issue, right, where they were trying to add on to the gospel, Specifically, it wasn't, it, Jesus' works wasn't enough. You needed to do Jesus' works on the cross plus circumcision. And we talked about how that undermines what Jesus Christ had done on the cross. That Jesus' work is enough. That grace is enough. That you do not need to add on to the gospel message, but that the hope that we can have in Christ is enough. And if you remember, I asked for you to take some time to read and, and perhaps memorize Ephesians 2.8, uh, specifically for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. See, it's not by works or anything else that we have been saved, but it is by grace alone. This week we're going to be in Acts chapter 16, and we'll be talking a little bit about Paul and Silas um, and their imprisonment. Now you probably have noticed a common theme in the book of Acts, right? You speak up about the gospel, then what happens? You get the slammer and you get thrown into prison. <laughs> what a different world we live in today, right? Where for the most part, this isn't universally true, but for the most part, many of us can still proclaim our faith. We can come to a church on Sunday and worship freely without the ramifications of getting imprisoned. Although we've seen that change in, 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 in years past, maybe not so much in America, although we have definitely seen faith in a, under attack here in this country, but definitely in other parts of the world where these things still happen. So before we jump into today's message, let's go ahead and enter into our prayer of intent so that we would be ready to receive God's word. Father, we do come before you right now ready to hear the things that you have to speak to us today. Lord, we pray that we would take your words and that we would plant it in, your, in our hearts, that we would put it upon good soil so that it may grow Lord, we pray for eyes to see the things that you are doing and ears to hear the words that you are speaking to us. Lord, we want to come ready to receive what you have for us. We don't want to hold anything back. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The reason why I mention, sorry about that, the reason why I mention um, why this week was a little bit more interesting for me to, to develop this message, and uh, if you didn't know, I probably get some of the most joy in my life being able to preach and being able to study God's Word and craft a sermon and, and deliver that on Sunday. 
It excites me. It energizes me. And I think the reason why is, is because I just, I, I'm so happy and, 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 and overjoyed to be able to communicate God's truth. And the reality is, is as I study His Scriptures, the Lord has to minister to me first before coming to you guys and being able to hopefully minister to you effectively. But this week was a little bit different, and the reason why is because we had to do a, a funeral service, but we called it instead a celebration of life service for Ethel Miller. And many of you were in, in attendance for that service, and it was a beautiful time for us to be able to honor Ethel's memory. But the reason why it was a little bit different this week for me is because the Holy Spirit, I felt like, was just working two things together. One, he was working with the fact that I forgot to do something. <laughs> Ever forget to do something, but God's grace is there, right? Where I was actually preparing my message for, for, for next week, this week, but thankfully Ginger sent me an email and reminded me <laughs> of, of the scriptures that we were in this week. But what was amazing about it was Ethel Miller, in particular, wanted to do a service that was all about worshiping God. That before she passed away, that was her heart's desire. That we, would, that we would take the time and not so much mourn her, but rather take the time to direct our attention and our focus to God through worship. And if you were here for that service, I, I took a sliver out of today's message, and it was in yesterday's service. But I think what you'll see happening in today's message is a very similar parallel to that, about the power of worship and how worship will truly make a difference in your life. That's why I've titled today's message, Breaking the Chains Through Worship. So I especially want you guys to pay close attention this week. Now, here, here's the honest truth. Every week I want you to pay close attention. And every week I'm hopefully saying something that is worth, you know, writing down in your notebook and maybe committing to memory. But I especially want you guys to get today right. Because out of all of the messages that we've been preaching most recently, I feel like today's message will have a, a special impact on your life in the way that you approach the topic of worship. So if you have pens and papers, get ready to take notes. If not, get ready to commit it to memory because I think today's message in particular will bless you in the area of worship. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. Go ahead and turn your Bibles there to Acts chapter 16. <clears throat> and we're going to have uh, a rather ambitious uh, goal of being able to go from verses 16 to 40. All right, you guys excited for today? Okay, good. So we're going to be in 16 to 40. So if you're listening in, I hopefully you have your Bibles open on Acts 16 through 40, and you're not just doing your dishes. Although, you know, I guess you could do both. But, <laughs> but I want to make sure you guys get this right. So a little bit of a note 
and that is, I think we're on week 16 right now, and I'm trying to do my best to keep us, you know, we're on week 16 and we're on Acts 16. I'm trying to keep a, a, us moving along the book of Acts, but in order to do that, what I've had to do is jump around a bit, right? So, for instance, last week I did not read all of chapter 15, and this week I'm not reading all of chap- chapter 16, and I'm only highlighting certain sections, but if you've been a Christian long enough, you'll, you, you would know already that you can read a verse of Scripture, come back to that verse in months later, maybe years later, and then get something completely different out of the Scripture, right? That's probably happened to you before, and that's why we call God's Word living, active, and breathing, that it's, that it's a spirit over His Word, that, that His Word is able to penetrate us in new ways, that He gives us a new Word each day. So the reason why I mention this is because I want to, to remind you guys that you could read all the rest of this verse, or all the rest of these verses on your own time. In fact, something great that you can do is maybe even read ahead, because next week we'll be in chapter 17. So I want to encourage you to take the time to read these things, because there was some amazing things that we're actually skipping over today in order to favor the verses that we're going to be in today. So for instance, one of the things that we skipped over is, is the conversion of Timothy and some of the amazing things that happened there. So we're in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. Something that went on just before these verses was Paul and Silas are trying to make their way to Macedonia. They're specifically in this region right now called Philippi. So if you didn't know, Philippi is where we get the book, any guesses? Philippians. So we call them books, but in reality they're they're letters letters to different churches. Paul right now is on his second missionary journey, okay? There's three notable missionary journeys that Paul takes, and he's on his second missionary journey, and I'm going to have Adam put on the screen a picture of the map of, of, of Paul's journey. So last week when we were talking, he was in the region of Antioch, which is in this right-hand corner, and he made his way from Antioch to Jerusalem. Now we've kind of skipped ahead a little bit. Thanks, Adam. Now we've skipped ahead a little bit, and you'll see the red circle up there that Adam's showing us, and he's in this region of Philippi, this Macedonia area in this region of Philippi. Now, something really cool happens while he's on this missionary journey. Is this missionary journey is meant to, 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 to be able to spread the gospel to different areas of the world. Paul and others are on a mission for not just the Jewish people to know about Jesus, but for all people to know about Jesus. So he's making his way out east, right, in order to let the people know who Jesus is. So he eventually starts preaching the gospel, and there's this lady that he speaks uh, the, the gospel message to, and her name is Lydia. And what's amazing about this woman, Lydia, is, is, is she was kind of a well-to-do, self-made woman who was a... a, a uh, um, a, a developer of textiles, specifically of making 
um, purple clothes, which if you didn't know, the dye color purple back then was incredibly rare. So I think I'm looking at the audience and a few of you guys are wearing purple. That was considered one of the most valuable dyes. They, uh, the process of making purple back then was incredibly difficult. It actually only came out of certain regions of the world by taking a, a, a type of slug, if you will, in, in extracting that in order to make this purple dye. So the fact that she was this purple dealer in clothes probably meant that she was in a well-to-do business and was a well-to-do woman and was kind of this, this uh, self-made woman all the way back then in a time where that might have been a little bit less common. But what's even more interesting about this woman, Lydia, and, and why I love that Scripture takes the time to recognize her is that Lydia is perhaps the first person in Europe to hear and accept the gospel. And I love that because what it shows us is that right from the beginning, right from the beginning, God takes the time in scriptures to recognize a woman's conversion to faith. In fact, he takes the time to do this so much that if you were to read the verses leading up to here, Paul and Silas were actually planning on going to a completely different region. But God gives them a dream, a vision of sorts, to go to Macedonia, that the Macedonian people need to be able to hear the gospel message. And I think this is such a beautiful reminder of how the Lord will go out of His way to be able to just reach one person. And I'd love to talk more about Lydia and what I think probably happened after her conversion. But we just don't have time for today. But use this as an encouragement to, to, to take the time yourself to study some of these things because the wealth of, of information is out there and it's so beautiful and encouraging to the faith. So God redirects Paul and Silas and he is able to, to bring the gospel message to this woman named Lydia. Lydia invites Paul and Silas into her home in order for them to, to find rest in, in, along their journey. And then now we are picking up in the part of scripture that we're going to be today. So go ahead and now that you have your Bibles open, let's go ahead and read a little bit together, okay? So we're going to go ahead and read um, a little bit together. I'm going to start with verse 19, okay? Now, what's going on here is, is rather interesting. So Paul and Silas are preaching and they're preaching and preaching. And for the most part, things are going well. People are coming to faith, not everybody, but the resistance that they're facing isn't, about, isn't at the level of what we're about to see. You see, as they're preaching to these people, what ends up happening is, is there's this girl who is a fortune teller, and you learn about this girl in verse 16. And she's a fortune teller, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, read a portion of that. 
to you in verse 16. So it says, uh, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in, pardon me, that's chapter 17. Sorry about that. So it says this, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Okay. Is this, do you think this is a good thing or a bad thing so far? (laughs) Not good. (laughs) She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. Okay, now verse 19 I have on the screen for you. It says this now. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar. Now, let me go ahead and stop there. We're going to continue reading these scriptures, but I need to stop there in order to help you understand something. So I remember when I was first reading this scripture as a a new Christian, I was rather confused by it. So I already said that it was a bad thing that she was, she was kind of uh, this fortune teller predicting the future. But I think it's natural for you to question, well, why is that a bad thing? Is, how is that any different than a prophet, right? Because we see prophets all the time in Scripture who are able to predict the future, and we don't consider them to be evil people or worth casting out. And then another thing that's kind of strange about this Scripture is, is, is what is this girl doing? Is she saying that Jesus Christ isn't? Uh, the Lord, no, she's, she's actually saying, as you see in the verses, she's saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, is there any part of that sentence that you would disagree with? No. Silas and Paul are servants of the Most High Lord. They are trying to proclaim and tell people how to be saved. So why is it that Paul gets so annoyed by her, that, as Scripture tells us, that he literally casts a demon out of her? You see, I think a part of the reason lies actually in history. It was a common practice during this time and in this region to have these fortune tellers, these what were called spirits of Python. And this girl most likely had this spirit of Python that was a part of a Greek um, religious system, you know, just kind of like how you, you hear of Greek mythology. And she was most likely actively giving people their fortunes. But you see, this spirit of Python did not come from God. If anything, it was demonic. So who knows the kinds of things that she was speaking into people's lives. And the fact that she's uh, looking at Paul and Silas, and even though she's saying something that is true, she's almost, in some ways, almost equating herself to them. 
You see, by her telling the, the, the people around her who these men are, it's almost like she's saying that her God is bigger than their God, or her God is similar to, 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 uh, to their God because her God is able to give the revelation of truth of who these men are. And Paul and Silas recognize that what this woman is doing, what this girl is doing in reality is undercutting the ministry. It's confusing the message because it's still making it seem like this girl is relevant and this girl has power and authority that you should listen to because she's able to point to other people and give the revelations of truth. But Paul and Silas realize that that is not what this girl is doing. And she's taking half-truths and probably turning them into things that are causing other people to go astray. So Paul rebukes this girl, and then what ends up happening? It says, as I read in verse 19, that they, the, the authorities seized them in the marketplace, and they started to, to lash out on them. Let's keep reading. Verse 20, 21. So by advocating, so, so these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. Not good, right? After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened them in their feet in the stocks. So what's going on here? What, what, what's happening is, is the person who owned this girl, that was the slave owner of this girl, realized that when Paul and Silas cast out that demon in her, that she no longer had this gift to fortune tell. So because of that, he ends up losing a primary source of income for himself. So he's mad at Paul and Silas because of that and stirs up the crowd and kind of slanders Paul and Silas's ministry and is able to successfully get these people flogged and then thrown into prison. You know, it's moments like this where you say, God, what are you doing, right? I mean, don't we have these moments in life where maybe we're trying to live for Jesus, we're trying as hard as we can to work for Jesus. We've sacrificed our time, we've sacrificed our resources, we've done our best to, to, to not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good, and we've prayed for people, we've worked for God, and then all of a sudden we end up in a situation where we say, Lord, can't you see that I'm trying to work for you? Why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow me to get flogged and then thrown into prison? All I'm doing is trying to share your good news. You see, there will always be people that will resist the gospel because the kingdom of darkness is at work 
church. And there are, a, there are forces out there that are battling it out and don't want others to hear the truth and the hope that is in you. But you have to realize that when these moments occur, it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because God isn't with you. But in reality, it's probably because you're doing some damage to the kingdom of darkness. And the enemy doesn't like that. But I want you to take special notice right now at what happens in verse 25. So 1625. This is such an important verse, and this is getting to why I think this message today is is important for you to learn. I've been trying to hopefully set the stage, and I want you to take notice of what's about to happen right now. So they've been stripped, they've been flogged and beaten with rods, and then they're thrown into prison. And then look how they respond to it. Look how Paul and Silas responds to it. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God out of the blue hymnal. (laughs) Okay, I might have added a couple parts in. (laughs) No, it says they were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. So how did they respond to their situation? Did they point an angry finger at God? Did they say, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Lord, Joel Osteen said I'm supposed to have my best life now. No. They respond to their tragic situation by praying and worshiping and singing to the Lord. And this brings me to an important part of today's message, and that's point one. The enemy wants to stop you from worshiping God. The enemy wants to stop you from worshiping God. This is such an odd response. It does not make sense for Paul and Silas to respond to their situation in this way we would most likely respond with anger and pessimism towards God, but they respond into this situation by praising God, by singing to God. And the enemy does not like that at all. You see, worship is so much more than the music we listen to. And I talked about this yesterday at the service. You see, we sometimes conflate and confuse and we think worship is just what Jessica was doing up here, what Barb was doing on the piano. It's just for us to have a merry time singing songs that that make us happy, that we enjoy, when worship is so much more than that. If you look at the scriptures, if you specifically look at the Old Testament and you look at the Hebrew of the word worship and how that appears in scripture, the the, the best phrase that kind of encompasses the word worship is this idea of bowing down. Why is that phrase used? Because bowing down is, is an act of submission. 
I don't know if any of you guys are, are pet lovers out there. Any dog owners here? Okay. Any cat owners here? I'll pray for you. Well, one thing you notice with your dogs is that if you ever bring them to a dog park or if you have a couple of dogs, what, what happens? Usually, you usually have two dogs and one tries to be dominant of the other, right? And, and they're, they'll kind of battle it out, but, but eventually one dog will do what? They'll lie down on the floor. They'll put themselves prone and they'll try to go as far as they can to the ground. And, and, and what is that? That is a sign of, I submit. You know, the same thing is true with people that are battling in war, right? What, what's kind of the universal idea of, of submission is, is putting your hands out, lying down on the ground and going prone, maybe, perhaps. You see, this idea of bowing down is this idea of submission, and true worship happens when we are able to submit ourselves to the Lord. It's not just when we sing a pretty song and we're able to sing it well. That is not just worship. Worship is so much more than music. Here is a controversial truth. If I had to sing to save my life, I'd die. (laughs) But I bet there are moments where if you were to take me and take somebody else and maybe they had the voice to be able to make a platinum record that I could be worshiping better than this person. Because reality is, is worship is a posture. Which means that you can worship wherever you are. Did you hear that, church? You can worship wherever you are. Because worship is more than just the songs that we sing, because it is the stance and the posture of our lives, that means that regardless of whatever situation we find ourselves in, we can worship the Lord. This is why I think it's so important for us as a church to sometimes recognize and not get hung up so much on some of our preferences. Now, I'm not saying that preferences don't matter. They do. If I started predicando en español and hablando tu, uh, ustedes en español, there's going to be a problem, right? Because you're not going to be able to understand, so I'm going to prefer to speak in English so that I don't lose you all. But sometimes we can get so hung up on our preferences. Well, you know, I want you to sing this song instead of that song, or I want you to do this in the worship service and that in the worship service. And we do need to take the time to think through how we orchestrate our services, but I would rather see sometimes, I would rather see us as a church, and this I'm speaking to the church at large, just not, not just peace alone, to just say, when you come here, is your heart in the right place? Is your posture ready to worship and submit to the Lord? Or are you just hung up on what you want to, to get out of church, not what you want to be able to let the Lord know? That's why a common prayer of mine before preaching is I say, Lord, let our service be an offering to you, something that pleases you, because I recognize that I might speak the perfect words right? I might craft the perfect message, but if my heart is not in the right place, then I didn't, I didn't worship my God up here. And in the same way, 
It's true for you as the listeners. It's true for you as, as, in serving in whatever roles God has called you to serve in. Worship is surrender. It is directing yourself to God. Psalm 95 says this, Come, let us bow down. There we see it again. Bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. I love this other scripture in Romans 12, 1. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer, this is where it's key, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your what? Your true, and say this last part with me, and proper worship. So is the Apostle Paul here saying that your true and uh, proper worship is having a perfect pitch? No. It's not crafting a perfect worship song. It's not crafting having the perfect pitch. True and proper worship comes from offering your bodies as living sacrifices. It's a sermon for another day, but if you read to the end to where verse 4 is, it ends up saying that when you do this, when you worship God through sacrifice and allow Him to transform your mind, then guess what the reward is for that? You get to know what God's will is. So if you're ever wondering, I don't know what the Lord Jesus wants me to do in my life, we'll take more time to worship in this way, and guess what will happen? God will start to reveal to you what your will is, what His will is for your life. This is why the enemy does not want you to worship, church, because the enemy knows that if he can disrupt your worship, if he can have you focus more on your problems, your situations, your circumstances that you're going through in your life, then he will disrupt this natural flow that he will prevent you from being able to know God's will in your life, that he will prevent you from being able to seek the Lord and, and truly live a transformed life. The goal of the enemy is to isolate us, to distract us, to create pessimism, he wants you to focus on the problem and not the solution. That's what the enemy wants to do in your life. He does not want you to focus on the problem. Or he wants you to focus on the problem. He does not want you to focus on the solution. And the reality is, is who's the solution? Jesus is. Let's keep reading in Acts 15, uh, 16, 25 before I have to turn this into a two-part message. <laughs> So it says, after midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and at once all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and he saw the prison doors open. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, there's a few things going on here. But the key thing that I think I really want you to be able to, to, to know 
So if you are, are tracking with me with a notebook, you need to write this down. If you don't, put it down on your phone, putting, put it somewhere so that you can remember this. Because this is one of the most important points I've made in recent history at our church. And that's point two. Worship is how we overcome. The enemy does not want you to worship because when you worship, you overcome. You know, during the service, Tata, I don't mean to pick you out, but you brought me to tears today because you yourself were in tears and I heard you worshiping God in the midst of your struggles that you're going through right now, in the pain. And I know that the Lord was looking down upon that, and he was seeing that as true worship. And I believe what you were doing is you were overcoming in that moment through worship. Church, we overcome through worship. That is the best way to, to move forward in life. If your situation has you bogged down, if you're going through something that is just pressing you as if you're trying to breathe but you feel like there's an anvil on your chest or an elephant sitting on you, then start worshiping. I have to do this regularly in my life. And sometimes I feel like I get that that moment of overcoming and then I get hit again and I just start worshiping again. The enemy cannot dwell in a place where there is worship. And I think God wanted to bring this point home because what happened when Paul and Silas start worshiping? It literally says that the earth starts shaking and the foundations end up bringing freedom to Paul and Silas. And it didn't just affect them, but what ends up happening, it affected the whole entire prison. So worship didn't just bring freedom to Paul and Silas, but it brought freedom to those around them. I know sometimes we get hung up on this word called evangelism, right? Because a lot of times when we think about evangelism, we think about having this perfect conversation with an individual in order to help bring them to the Lord. And while I definitely think it's important to be able to not just uh, live out your faith, but speak about your faith. One of the greatest witnesses that you can ever have is being able to be a true worshiper because I guarantee that as people are seeing the way that you overcome adversity and they're seeing the way that you worship through your problems, they're going to look at themselves and they're going to say, man, I've never experienced freedom like that. How do I get there? What do I do? That's why when Jess was sharing that story of her friend who mentioned this amazing, amazing idea that we don't like, I'm going to probably butcher it now, but that we don't always like the story that we end up having to read, but God's writing the ending. That has power because that is a person who is worshiping God in the midst of their tragedy. Church, if you want to be an overcomer, if you want to be somebody that that can demonstrate what it means to get through a situation, then learn how to worship. Amen? What I love about this, and we'll start to come to a close right now,
is that when all of this happens and Paul and Silas are broken from their chains, the jailer starts to panic. And he's about to take his own life and commit suicide. And the reason why is in that day and age, if you uh, quote-unquote abandon your post in, in, in any Roman setting, um, what end, would end up happening is, is you would get killed. So, in his mind, the easier solution is to take his own life versus allowing the Romans to take his life for him. So that's why he starts to turn the sword on himself and he's ready to execute himself. But Paul and Silas, they jump in in that situation and they, they tell him not to, to, to do that and not to worry. And if you end up reading a little bit more, this is, this is what ends up happening. It says, the jailer called for lights, this is verse 29, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. You know, this verse 31 is often quoted to encourage families to remember that that your salvation will make a difference in your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. And what you end up learning is that the jailer ends up becoming a Christian. But what's amazing about this story is even though God afforded them freedom, Paul and Silas end up going back with the jailer and locking themselves up again. Now that is kind of confusing to me. And I thought a couple chapters ago, Peter got to get out of jail free card and get out of Dodge, you know? But here we see Paul and Silas going back into prison. Why is that? Because I think for Paul and Silas, it was more important to allow God to do what God was going to do, to allow the gospel to be preached and for this jailer's life to be protected than for them to just have their freedom. I think they knew in this moment the best witness that they could be is just having a posture of worship and that regardless of the outcome of the situation, they were going to worship. Church, Is that your heart? And look, I said it earlier, these messages I have to preach to myself before I preach to you. Is that your heart? When you worship, are you truly worshiping with the posture of bowing down before the king? Are you worshiping God in all that you do? Not just when you sing, but when you, when you, the way that you treat people the way that you work, the way that you love your kids, the way that you love your neighbor, the way that you love your church and those of us that are in it. Are you truly worshiping? I think the answer for that could be mixed for some of us. There are times that I think we are and there's times that we, we aren't. And that's just, that's what being a Christian is like. But let me use this as an encouragement and a reminder today to each of you to worship. Who can stand against us 
when we stand with Him? Who can stand against us when we stand with Him? Fight your anxieties, your doubts, your frustrations, your fears, your troubles, and the enemy of this world through worship. Worship the true King of this world and allow Him to fight your battles and give you the strength to be an overcomer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be worshipers. We thank you, Lord, that we look to you for our salvation. That you ultimately are the person that we set our attentions to. Father, we recognize that we don't always worship with the right heart. But more than anything, Lord, we want this moment and onward to be one that represents true worship. Lord, we know that the enemy does not want us to worship because he knows that when we worship, we overcome. Lord, help us be overcomers through the worship that we can give to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to